Hey, you're listening to Be Your Best with Phil Haugen, where we explain the methods that help bridge the language barrier between horse and rider. Our goal with each episode is to provide you with the training philosophies that will help you to be your best every day. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me on today's show of Be Your Best Horsemanship. Uh, Today, what I'm going to be talking about is something that we worked on this last week. This last Saturday, I had a private clinic with a trainer from Texas, a young lady. um, She's 27. Um, She had a couple horses that she's working with, one that's a little more finished and one that's really green. Had about 10 rides on. And on this show, and this is a topic that I've talked a little bit about uh, previously, but just this uh, last week with that private clinic. And then this morning when I got up, I had a message from a young trainer in Wyoming that had, that had listened to one of the previous podcasts. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about um, the challenges she was facing with her horse also and what helped her get through some of that. And, and I think one thing that I see so much um, especially with not only with young horses, but with older horses is, you know, when, when we have a weak link in our foundation, you are going to come to a point where it is really, really difficult to progress. So, you know, the foundation, you, you can progress to a point with a weak foundation, but there's going to come a point where it's really hard to get to that next level. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. And to begin with, we're going to talk about, you know, uh, at that private clinic this weekend, um, this particular trainer brought a, brought a three-year-old filly that she has about 10 rides on. And it's, uh, it's a customer horse. It's not a horse she owns. And she's, she was struggling. Um, the horse was fighting her every day um this filly was real insecure um really had no trust was reactive and horses are going to have you know they have that fight or flight mechanism and each horse is different in how that mechanism affects them but this particular filly she she wanted to fight and she wanted to, uh, her defense mechanism was to kick, you know, step over the top of you, run over you. Um, she didn't actually just take off and like try to run you over with her teeth bared or anything like that. But when we went um, to work in the round pen, um, uh, this young lady told me that in the round pen, she kind of just wants to you know, run over and, or run towards her and make, and she has to move out of the way, you know, so this horse doesn't, you know, basically run over. Um, and, but to begin with, when I stepped in the stall with that filly and that's where we start, I mean, when I'm working with a colt, I'm working with an individual, we start before we ever even step in the pen to catch him because, right when you step in that stall 
and, and this this horse is in a just to give you an idea of exactly what it was it was a stall with a run attached so when i step in there and the first thing this filly did was make a big jump and it'd been the the stalls or the runs are a little bit wet because we've had a lot of moisture and uh she kind of stepped a foot into a little little water puddle and and just that stepping her foot in that water puddle you know caused this fairly significant reactive motion and so right off the bat you know just reading that horse I'm I know what um, the first thing that needs to be done obviously is to get that horse using the thinking side of its brain so as that horse is standing with its butt towards me at the other end of the run I just keep flipping the lead rope towards it I never I don't know that it ever even touched her but I just keep flipping that lead rope and, and applying pressure um, you can apply pressure and a significant amount of pressure without ever touching a horse like that that's being reactive and so finally when that horse when she stepped around and finally put both eyes on me instead of stepping towards her I just stepped back some more and let her sit there as long as she had both eyes on me I just released that pressure and then I had to do it a few more times and she turned away and and before I ever put the halter on her you know she had both eyes on me and I would step up to her and just either touch her on the neck or the shoulder and step back again well it, did, it didn't take long before she took a step towards me. Well, that right there tells you that she's flipped that switch and she's starting to use that thinking side of her brain, okay? So then when I put the halter on her, instead of leading her out, I just asked her to take a step. I, I put one hand out to point her in a direction, basically to try to lead her past me and take a step and then bring her back to me. Now, the first thing she wanted to do, first thing this filly wanted to do was step into me. And here's the thing there, and I think this was probably one of the aha moments for this young trainer. You just think about this, if on the ground, every time that horse, if we, if we apply pressure and that horse leans into us or steps into us on the ground how is that going to carry over to when we're on their back okay so just think about this if if i lay you know if i if i step up to that horse's neck into that horse's eye and i put both hands up and i raise it up say i'm on the right side of this filly and i raise my hands up and put one towards that horse's neck and one towards that horse's eye and I and I push like I'm applying pressure I don't ever touch that horse and, and the first thing that horse does is just come into me and push onto me well if we let that filly whether it's filly horse colt whatever if we let that horse do that to us on the ground why, when we get on their back, would we think that when we lay our leg against that horse's ribcage or our rein against their neck, they would move away from that pressure? See, 
that that's a I know it seems and and I've been through this. I mean, I I used to be in the biggest rush, you know, to get them caught, get them saddled cuz I didn't think I was training them unless I was on their back. And and I tried that for about a decade. You know, to be honest with you, and I still had some results and I still had some pretty good results, but I never had as good a foundation as I could have. So the first thing I did with that filly, when I stepped to her, she doesn't, even if she just leans away, that's a start. But, but eventually when I, when I apply pressure, whatever it is, they have to step away. They have to give to that pressure and then I can release soon as that when I raise both hands and put one towards that horse's neck and one towards that horse's right eye and I step into that horse I want that horse taking a step away they need to understand number one horse is going to weigh you know at least five or six times more than I do so if it comes into a collision of them pushing into me or me pushing into them who who's going to win if that horse is really wants to run over me so so you have to establish that respect okay that horse has got to respect that space that you're in secondly when when that horse starts to develop that respect and you apply pressure and then release okay apply pressure and release well then you start to establish trust that horse starts to understand and starts to trust you of what you're asking because the reason they trust you is because it makes sense to them. They start to understand that when they feel pressure, it stimulates their thinking response, the thinking side of their brain to look for that response. And then when they find that response, they find that release point. And always remember, you're using pressure to help that horse find that release point. The release is what you teach, okay? The release is what you teach. We use pressure or contact to help that horse find that release. But when you release, that is what, when that horse goes, okay, now I know what he's at doing. Now I know what he's looking for. So when they feel that similar pressure the next time, horses have a really, really good memory. Have you ever noticed that? If something bad happens once at a particular place on your, at a particular spot on your place, have you ever noticed that? That uh, they, they don't forget that easily, right? So they, they have a good memory um, for bad situations and they have a good memory for good situations. So uh, always remember that, that that the pressure you're using is so that that horse, you sh you're stimulating the horse's thinking side of their brain. And when they find that release point, when they give you the response that you're asking for, you need to release instantly. It's got to be quick. If you release slow or they give you that response and then you just ask for more, you've just confused them. Okay. And that's just human nature. Sometimes we think, well, if a little's good, a lot more is better. You know, that's fine to ask for more, but when you get that response each time, you need to release so that they know that they're always searching for that release point. Well, 
you know, picture this, we're still in the stall. We're still in the run with this filly. We haven't even, we put the halter on her head, but we haven't left, we haven't left the, the run yet. And so before I ever leave that run, I make that filly move her feet and step by me and then come back to me. I keep fairly short hold of that lead rope so that she can't go by and cow kick me because I already know her history that she's a kicker. Um, the trainer has told me that, which is a reactive response, which is a defense mechanism that that horse has. So, so when I'm asking this, you know, I'm using the tail of my lead rope to generate a little energy. She takes a step or two by me. I bring her nose back to me. Okay. Make her yield her hind quarters away from me so she can't kick me. And then when she steps to me, it gives me the opportunity to pet her lightly on her head and reward her. Okay. Then when I ask her to go the other direction, I make sure she moves around me. I don't move my feet. If you're working your horse on the ground and you're the one moving your feet, they're training you. Okay. So you have to make sure, and this is real easy to do. You have to make sure you're taking the time, be patient. They need to move around you. Okay. When they, when they feel your presence and your pressure, they need to move around you here again. How is that going to carry over when you're on their back, asking them for a response? If while you're on the ground, every time you ask for a response, you move out of their way. Well, when, when I'm asking a horse to break in their rib cage and get real, real round laterally, when I lay my leg against that rib cage, why would that horse not push into it instead of give to it? You see what I'm saying? It, it just, it doesn't make any sense to, to let them do one thing on the ground. And then when on, when you're on their back, expect a different result. And with this filly, that, that's just absolutely what was happening, you know, and, and, and kudos to this, to this, uh, young trainer for, you know, I mean, she's 27, I'm 55. Like I told her, I said, the only advantage I have is that I've been around longer. I've had more practice. I've got more horses under my belt. Um, you know, if, if you get to hang around and survive in the business I'm in for 30 plus years, you've had to have learned something or else you would have no business. You, you wouldn't have any customers because in this business, it's all about what have you done for me lately? I mean, I, I've told myself my whole life, I'm only as good as the last set of horses that I turned out. And, and, and if you don't have return business and referral business, you, you won't have a business in horse training. And so, you know, and, and I think when I tell people that, just, just like this young lady, and she is just a wonderful student. I mean, she is just soaking it up. She's very educated. Um, she was very, very advanced in a lot of ways um, and, and great personality. But the best thing about her or one of the best things about her was she had a learning personality. I mean, she wanted to learn and wanted to get better and had that desire, you know, and so she takes time out of her schedule, drives four hours Friday night, gets here late, you know, spends the night in the bunkhouse, gets, we get up Saturday morning and ride all day. 
and then she leaves right before dark and heads home and drives four hours home. I mean, that, you know, I hate to say it, but that's the kind of commitment that it takes, whether to be good at this or to be good at anything. Anything worth having is an uphill climb. It it just is. So um, it takes a tremendous amount of work and it takes, it takes, um, a tremendous amount of challenging yourself to get better because it's just like myself at 55 and I'm, hell, I love 55. I mean, I feel great at 55. I'm, you know, I, my job has gotten easier because of the thing, the experiences that I've had. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't know if, if, if there was a genie in the bottle and, and you said, I'm going to let you go back and go through this, the, the three and a half decades of learning what you've learned again. And I don't know if I do it or not. I, I mean, I probably would, but holy buckets. If, uh, if when I was 25 or 30, you said it was, you know, you told me it's going to be, you know, when you're 55, you know, things are really going to, you know, start going your way, I'd be like, holy buckets, really, three decades, (laughs) which I say that I've had, I've had super good customers for years, you know, but, but you think, well, I've got a lot of business. Yeah. Along with a lot of business comes a lot of, lot of, lot of hours, a lot of time. So I really applaud the people that really and truly were smarter than I was at that age. Um, to go gain from someone else's experiences and, and good and bad, you know, and that's, that's what I told her. I said, you know, experiences are, are good and bad. I've, I've had a lot of bad experiences, you know, self-inflicted, you know, my own lack of knowledge or lack of common sense that I've learned from. And, you know, the smartest thing you can do, I think is, is to, to use that to your advantage, let somebody, you know, we provide a lot of, a lot of free information. A lot of people do. And which is awesome because at the end of the day, the real, real reward for me is, and I've said this before, and I don't want it to be redundant, but the real reward is seeing somebody's eyes light up when they start to advance to that next level. And, and so anyway, getting back to this Philly, um, after I'd moved her around in the stall, made her step around me, really, really simple, brutally simple exercises. But a lot of the horses that come in for tune-ups from people that um, they could be very, very advanced horses that had the wheels have fallen off the wagon. A lot of times they're not that much different when I go to catch them, you know, so you can, I've got a couple horses in training now that, um, you know, horses that are road, road decent, but at the same time, one in particular, you go to catch it and every day, this horse has got the habit of being reactive. And, and you, first thing you have to do is change that thinking process. Because if a horse isn't using the thinking side of their brain, they're somewhat controllable. You can control them and physically manipulate them a little bit and and you can still do some things but they're not 
I, I really don't believe you're progressing them. I don't, uh, and, and that's just from my experience. Um, for me personally, anyway, in my program, if I don't have them using the thinking side of their brain, I'll be honest with you, I'm probably wasting my time up there on their back. And, and you know, back in the day, you know, probably back in the, you know, 80s, early 90s, you know, there were times when, well, mostly in the, a lot of them in the 80s for sure. You know, there were times I might have numerous rides on a horse and they've never started using the thinking side of their brain yet. I'm just every day's a fight. So typical with this filly, um, she was just the biggest change came in her as soon as she flipped that switch and started using the thinking side of her brain. And going back to that stall, and I know I've talked about this a little bit before, but with this podcast, I'm going to be talking about real life events, real life situations that happen weekly or daily here. And, and this was, um, this is what we worked on this weekend. And then also I'm going to talk about another, um, message that I'd got from another trainer in Wyoming about the same subject and how it, how she had been working a colt that had about 20 rides and fighting her every day. And, and after she listened to a couple of those podcasts, she said it made a huge difference because she made a change in herself and she tried to soften that horse's mind. And rather than the end results and the specific goals that she had in mind, she paid more attention to what state of mind that horse was in and, and you know, understanding in this state of mind, is that horse trainable or isn't, or isn't it? You know, and I just remember what a big change it made in my life when I started to figure that out. And, and here's the other thing. A horse 20 years old can be using the reacting side of their brain as much, if not more, than the thinking side of the brain. The good news here is that that habit can always be altered, okay? Now... My ultimate goal is to where when I step in that stall, that horse associates me with thinking. So they start using the thinking side of their brain immediately because when you ask a horse, just like after I haltered that filly, when you ask a horse to move their feet, they have to think at some point. They have to start thinking about picking a foot up, setting it down, picking it up, set it down, okay? So same way when you're on their back, if a horse wants to this same filly, one of the big challenges that she was having is when she would get on this filly, this filly would really want to paw a lot. Well, pawing is anxiety-based. It's a reactive response. And usually it's, it's, it's caused by frustration and anxiety because that, that horse is not in a confident state. They're not using the thinking side of their brain. So just like uh, skipping ahead, when we, when we went over to the round pen with this filly, once I let her out of the stall, her head was down. She was relaxing her jaw, licked her lips. She was completely different 
mindset already. Well, when I led her over to the round pen and I moved her around with my flag and just long story short, the, the drive line when you're in the round pen is like when there is a rope or a line from the saddle where the saddle horn would be on your horse or the point of the withers on your horse to the middle of the round pen, that's your drive line. When you're driving that horse forward, you always want to be behind that line, okay? When you're driving that horse around the round pen, well, when you step in front of that drive line and you apply pressure to that neck, shoulder, neck, eye area of that horse, you want your horse to give to that pressure. Well, this filly would step into me, okay? So when I would, what I call getting in her eye, when I would step up and apply pressure or lift my flag up towards her eye and, and, and remember I'm 20 feet away still. It took me a good while before when I stepped across that drive line and raised my flag, basically to put my flag up in that horse's eye, but yet I'm, you know, 15 feet away or 20 feet away, whatever it was. I want that I want that horse moving away from that. I want that horse to give to that pressure. Well, this filly would step into me and try to just, you know, kind of step into you and want to come bully you. Well, it took me a little bit, but as soon as she started giving to that pressure, okay, and I worked her both ways and stepped up and would step across the drive line, step into her eye, turn her into the fence. One of the comments this young trainer made was, well, I was always taught to let them come to me. And that that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. They need to, when you step back and say, whoa, and you release that pressure from driving them and you step back and say, whoa, that needs to draw that horse to you. But at the same time, that horse needs to learn to give to that pressure. Because here again, if I step across that drive line. And I raise my flag into that horse's eye, the eye that's on me. And that horse doesn't give to that pressure and look for that release point. When I get on her back, why, why would she give to that pressure? You see what I'm saying? Why? So, so if you let that horse step to you when you apply pressure, what's going to? Why would that horse react any differently when you're on their back? And you put your leg against that rib cage, or you lay that rein on that neck. When we lay that rein on that neck, do we want that horse leaning into us and pushing into us? Because if when you're working that horse and that horse steps to you and you let him do it without correcting it, we're, we're teaching him to do it. We're teaching him to, to not give to pressure, but to lean on pressure, or push on pressure or, you know, you know, not they're, they're not trying to find that release point or learning we're not helping them find it because if they step into us and we release the pressure, they, they, that is their release point. That's what you've established as your release point. So, you know, it's uh, this is something I'm going to talk about again in another podcast, but do not underestimate understanding the concept of having your horse using the thinking side of their brain. Because if you don't have that small muscle in their brain that's about the size of your fist, if you don't have that animal 
in that state of mind where they're using the thinking side of their brain, training that body is irrelevant. That's what's got to come first. You can manipulate, push, tug, pull, jerk, and get that body to do some things. But to have a horse soft and responsive, they have to be using that thinking side of their brain. So I'm going to stop there for today. We appreciate you. Have a great week and be your best. Hey, thanks for joining us on today's show. To learn more about the training program that inspired the Be Your Best podcast, head over to philhavenhorsemanship.com and join our online community by following us at philhavenhorsemanship on Facebook or Instagram. This is where we're going to be sharing tons of training tips and information about how you can experience our Training Through Understanding program at one of our upcoming clinics. As you go through the day today, I want to encourage you to figure out one thing you can do to get 1% better whether that is in your horsemanship journey, your career, or your personal life. Own it and be your best. God bless and have a great day of training.